Sam Emmanuel, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, of building up the body of Christ by not just singing to the Lord, but as we're singing to the Lord, we're also reminding each other of what is true of our Lord. So, amen to that. And before we get ready to dive into God's Word, I actually have a slide that I would like to put up here on the screen because you may have heard that several weeks ago there was actually a massive earthquake in modern-day Turkey and Syria. And the reason why I bring this up is actually for a couple of reasons. Number one, you'll notice that this is actually in the same biblical reason, uh, same biblical region as where Colossae was located. The earthquake actually took place. We can turn it down a little bit, uh, make it a little less hot. Perfect. Uh, the earthquake took place uh, actually in Tarsus, in the biblical town of Tarsus, where Paul the Apostle uh, was from, which is in the southeast of modern-day Turkey. Colossae would be located in the southwest that you see of modern-day Turkey. And just as a biblical tip, whenever you hear the word Asia Minor uh, from a sermon or some kind of biblical writing, Asia Minor is referring to Turkey. That, that body of land that you see uh, is what we call Asia Minor in biblical studies, but today it is the nation of Turkey. And we have learned in our study of Paul's letter to the Colossians that this letter that he writes to that town that town is going to be destroyed by an earthquake probably just a year after Paul sent that letter. And so this is a region where earthquakes have been very common, and they continue to be common. So the reason I show this, like I said, there's two reasons. One is to remind us that the Bible is not abstract. It's not theoretical. It involves real people in real situations. And there are real people dealing with some of the same challenges that even the Colossians dealt with even today. And because of that, we should remember that there is also a church in Asia Minor. There is a church in Turkey. There are Christians in Syria and Turkey who need our prayer, that we need to be reminded that as much as we are the ecclesia here in Graham, we are also part of the global ecclesia. We're part of the global body of Christ and that we have brothers and sisters who we have never met just like Paul is writing to brothers and sisters in Christ whom he had never met, that we can be reminded of and that we can pray for. So just as Paul prayed for Christians in Asia Minor that he didn't know, I want us also to pray for these Christians living in this region who we have not met and who we do not know, but with whom we share a heavenly Father. So let's pray uh, for those suffering right now in this region and also ask that God will prepare our hearts for him to miraculously work by his spirit through his word in our lives this morning. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we know that you are also the Heavenly Father to brothers and sisters in Christ who live on the other side of the world, who live lives that are very different from us, who have different cultures, who speak in different languages, and Lord, right now, you know who are dealing with intense suffering as a result of the devastation that has occurred as a result of this earthquake, a place where earthquakes have happened for thousands of years. Heavenly Father, may we echo the words of Paul in Colossians chapter 1, and may we also pray in thankfulness for the work that you are doing in this region, for the way that you have built your church in this region, and we pray for endurance and joy for these Christians, even in the midst of this trial, 
that they will praise you, that they will continue to follow you. And Lord, we do pray that even in the midst of this trial, you will use your body there in Turkey and Syria to make more disciples, that you will use this crisis to redeem souls and to enter more people into the family of God, into your family, and into the body of Jesus Christ. For us here in Graham, may you prepare our hearts for the word that you have through the Apostle Paul to the Colossians. And may it result in real, powerful, active change in our lives in a way that also spiritually shakes the ground around us. And we pray all of this in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So there is a crisis of power happening right now in Christianity. A crisis of power. I'm not talking about a crisis over who has power. I'm talking about a crisis over the desire for Christians to feel the power of God in their lives. <clears throat> the church will do whatever it takes in order to help people feel like they are experiencing God's power. We see this in worship services. We'll bring in smoke machines and lights and we'll try to design songs in such a way that people will come to church on Sunday and they will walk away thinking that they have felt the power of God. Even we preachers, we do this. We try to preach sermons in such a way that make you cry and make you laugh and inspire you so you walk away saying, that was a powerful sermon. We have churches that attempt to have what they call revivals in order to see God's power working in their community. And over and over again, we see that Christians want to experience the power of God. But let me ask you this, Graham Emanuel. Despite all the powerful sermons, despite all the powerful worship songs, despite all the lights and all the show, despite all the things that we may attempt to experience God's power, do you right now, February 12th, this Sunday, feel the power of God in your marriage? Do you feel the power of God in the way that you talk when driving down the road? Do you feel the power of God in your attitude towards those you don't like? Do you feel the power of God in your online browsing habits? Do you feel the power of God in your relationship with your siblings? Despite everything we've talked about experiencing the power of God, do we actually see God actually having true manifested power in those areas? That is why I say that there is a crisis power in Christianity. Because some of us, we fall into two extremes. There's some, like we've said, who look for God's power in all the wrong places. And we know that that's wrong. But maybe equally as wrong is the sin of those Christians who have decided that the concept of God's power is a theological concept that they should just stay away from. That that's something for other denominations, other kinds of Christians, not for us We'll just try to survive the best we can here on this earth, look forward to heaven, and not even try or attempt to experience this power of God. In fact, me even probably even talking about the power of God in this way is probably causing some of you to raise eyebrows. Where is a message like this going? We're not used to talking about the power of God in this way. But this morning, in Colossians chapter 1, Verse 11, 
Paul's going to make it very clear that there is indeed impactful power that God has provided for those who follow him, and that most of us are looking for the power of God in the wrong places for the wrong reasons. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, Paul is going to explain to us exactly what the power of God should look like in our life and why he has given it. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, and we are going to look at verse 11. As you're turning there, remember that this is not a theological textbook, but this is a letter written from a person to a church in Asia Minor of whom he had never met. And all throughout chapter 1, he's expressing his thankfulness. He's showing how much he appreciates these people who he doesn't even personally know. And he's going back and forth between the two tectonic plates that we've talked about. This vertical living versus horizontal living of walking in the Lord, growing in knowledge of him, but doing so in a way that is going to bear fruit and actually show the worthiness of God in our life. Which is where we ended at last week in verse 10. Let's actually reread verse 10. Paul says, so, and he's referring to us increasing in the knowledge of God. He says that all of that is so we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. But in verse 11, he is going to add a third continuous action that is going to result from Christians who are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Because in verse 10, he says that those who are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, that two things are happening to them. That number one, their obedience is bearing fruit that others can see, but that also they are passively by God being increased in knowledge of him. In verse 11, he's going to give the third thing that happens to Christians who are walking worthy of the Lord. That third action that he's going to to describe in verse 11 is this. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. You see, the point that Paul is making is that if we simply preach a sermon that talks about how we should walk worthy, uh, that we should walk in a manner that is worth the Lord's gospel, here's the temptation that we would fall into. That many of us, we would hear a sermon like last week, and we would walk away and say, well, I guess I need to try harder. Well, I guess I need to muster up a little bit more obedience. I need to discipline myself a little bit more so I can try to do more good things for God. But that is legalism when we try to show our worth to God through our own obedience. That's not the kind of obedience that Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about a kind of obedience that tries to prove our worth to God. He's talking about the kind of obedience that proves God's worth to everyone else. And that is a kind of walk that can only occur if it is being done in dependence on the power that God gives us in our Christian life. That is the definition of the power of God that Paul wants to communicate to these Colossians. And it's our big idea for this morning. The big idea of this text, which you can see on the screen, is that the power of God displays itself in this. That God empowers you in every way in order to obey him in every way. 
that if we truly want to see God's power in our life, this is going to be what God's power looks like, to walk in a manner worthy of him and to do so by depending on his strength in our life. In fact, if you look at the first phrase in verse 11, your translation may say that uh, Colossians are being strengthened with all power. But really, Paul's doing a play on words here in the Greek, which is actually kind of cool. He's actually saying that Colossians who are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord are doing so because they have been empowered with all power. That Greek word is the same word from which we get the word dynamite. That we have been dunamis duname, That we have been empowered with every power. But not just so that we can perform magical tricks, or not just so that we can create a really beautiful lyric and a worship song. The reason why we have been empowered, the reason why we as Christians should embrace the power of God is in reflection of what Paul says in this verse, that he has empowered us with every power so that we can obey him in every way. That obedience is the purpose of God's power in our life. And for example, if we were to look at the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, recorded after Jesus ascended up into heaven, we would see that the way that God empowers us with all power is directly by his Holy Spirit. When Jesus was teaching his disciples in the upper room before he himself was crucified and resurrected, he said that he was going to go away, but that he was going to send a helper, and that this helper was going to be the Holy Spirit that would guide them in truth, and it would equip them to obey him. And that's exactly what we see in the Acts of the Apostles. We see that as they are filled with the Holy Spirit, they are now capable of obeying God and fulfilling the commands that God has given them. We see this also in the, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We have a slide for that. In Ephesians, we, too, we see two similar examples where Paul talks about how God has equipped us, that God has given us power specifically so that we can obey him. Look at Ephesians 3, verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us. This isn't some kind of mystical power. This isn't some sort of magical power that God has given Christians. This is the power of his very spirit that he has implanted in every single person who has been saved by putting their faith in Jesus Christ. That is where the power comes from, directly from God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, living in us. Let's go to the next verse. Let's go to the next passage. This is so powerful, this example that we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at this warning that Paul gives to Timothy of people who are living in sin, other so-called Christians who are living in sin. He writes this, he says, But understand this, Timothy, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And look at the kind of people that he describes. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, 
lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now look at this, though. We, we hear a list like that, and we just assume unsaved, secular, the evil world doing evil things. But the real kicker is what he says in verse 5 related to the power of God. Because these are people who are so-called Christians. Verse 5, he says, having the appearance of godliness. What do they do instead? They deny its power. And to avoid such people. These are Christians who claim to be followers of Jesus, who claim to be godly, but who deny the power that God has given them to imitate him in the way that they walk, and as a result, it results in this kind of behavior. Are you the same kind of Christian? Are you the same kind of believer that Paul is describing here in his warning to Timothy that you show up to church on Sunday, you go to Bible study, you post the right things on Facebook, you say the right things in the prayers, you give the appearance of godliness, yet you have no desire for the power of God that he has given you by his Holy Spirit to actually result in you obeying him. That actually results in you changing your habits, changing the way that you speak to others, changing the way that you gossip about others, changing the way that you put others down or get consumed in thoughts of hate and bitterness towards people you don't like. If you say that you follow God, yet you have no desire for the power of God to change that behavior, you're lying. And Christians should avoid people like you. These are harsh words. And these are warnings that Paul is giving, not just towards how evil a world can be, but how destructive Christians can be when they claim to be godly, but do not allow the power of God by his Holy Spirit to cause them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That is why Paul makes it very clear that Christians are meant to walk in a way worthy of the Lord, but they are to do so in a way that depends on God's power, and that only by God's power can they obey in that the level of our obedience is a reflection of our trust in the promise of God to empower us in this way. If we truly say that we believe Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, yet it actually is not reflected in us obeying God, we are deceiving ourselves and we're deceiving others. So based on that, for the rest of this verse, there are going to be four implications of what it actually means to be by faith depending on the power of God in our life. And we can throw up the first point now. That the first point, the first implication of us depending on the empowering of God with all power is this, that we are empowered to walk in a way that reveals God's glorious might. And you can see that I took this first point directly from the very next phrase in verse 11. Because Paul says that we are being empowered with all power, but then he says that we are empowered according to his glorious might. Now, this means two things. This word according in the Greek can better be understood as corresponding. That we are being empowered in a way that is not just from God's glorious might, but directly 
corresponds to his glorious might. So as much glorious might as God has, in an equal parallel degree are we empowered to obey him. Therefore, the level of your faith to depend on God's empowering to obey him is going to be a testimony to the world of how powerful you actually think God is. Because the power that God used to even raise Jesus from the dead is the same power that he gives us to obey him as those who are dead in our trespasses. Let's look at a couple of verses that explain that. We see in 1 Corinthians 6.14, it says that God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Romans chapter 6, one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, one of the best chapters in human history of anything ever written. Paul says this, that we were buried, therefore, with him, Christ, by baptism, or in this sense, by submersion, by being completely sunk into his death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, that we are empowered, empowered with all power in a way that corresponds to God's glorious might. If we claim that we have a religion that follows a God that raises a man from the dead, then we should also believe that God can make us capable of living in a way that reflects a new life. Because Christ's resurrection also means our resurrection. Because we were crucified with Christ. We were dead in our trespasses, and our old man was crucified with him, and we in new life were resurrected with Jesus. And if we believe that God can resurrect a dead man to life, we should also believe that he can equip us and resurrect us to obey him. That's why it is important that we seek God's power and we depend on God's power by faith because it corresponds to his glorious might. And the world learns about Christ by watching Christians. We show up on Easter service and we say that we believe in a living God, yet we as Christians live dead lives. Let's actually show that we believe in a living God by living a life that reflects the actions and the heart and the behavior and the attitudes of the risen Savior. Because let's go to the next verse. You guys know this one. Because we are just jars of clay, are we not? And we have a treasure to display to the rest of the world. Paul says in this verse, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God. Notice that word power. That the power belongs to him and not to us. The amazing thing is that if you were to turn to that passage and look at the verse right before verse 7, you would find specifically that what Paul is talking about is the knowledge of God. That treasure in jars of clay, it's not just a generic cute name for the gospel. It's specifically referring to the same thing that, that Paul is talking about in this letter to the Colossians, that you should grow in your knowledge of God and as a result, walk in a manner worthy of him by the empowering of God in your life. This is what prevents us from legalism, guys. Because legalism tries to show our worth to God. It tries to prove that we are worthy to the Lord in order for him to save us. But true faithful obedience, as being described here, actually displays to the world that we are not worthy, but that God is worthy. And that we are weak, but he is strong. 
And when we recognize that we are able to obey him because he has equipped us to obey him, then that is what a faithful life actually looks like. Because when you're tempted to sin, instead of just saying, oh, I'm tempted, this is hard, I can't overcome this, I give up, faith says no. God has promised that he has empowered me with all power, including the temptation of what I want to look up on the computer tonight. Or including this thing that I want to yell at the person who has cut me off a meridian. By faith in those moments of temptation, we can rest in the promise of God and trust by faith that God has empowered us to obey him in those situations. And that is faithful living. And that is faithful living that worships God because like jars of clay, it corresponds to his glorious might and shows that power to the world. This world does not need Christians speaking in tongues to make a difference for God. It needs Christians speaking in love to each other. It needs Christians not going out and performing these incredible miracles that somehow show revival or some kind of miraculous might of God, but simply loving your unlovable neighbor. That is how God is going to show his power and make a difference in this world. If you want to be a person who experiences the power of the Spirit, obey. That is the most radical, miraculous thing that you will ever display in your life by the Spirit of God. Obedience. Living like a spiritually alive person when we are dead in our trespasses. And as a result, we have three more implications. Point number two. We are empowered with all power to walk, not just in a way that corresponds to God's glorious might, but to also walk with endurance. So often we think of faith and we think of obedience as a one-time thing. That, okay, I I really got to try to be good today, or I got to really try my best to be good in this area. Faithfulness, a life of faith, is not just a one-time event. It is actually something that the New Testament describes as an enduring event that we're not just empowered to obey at the moment of our salvation, but that we are empowered to endure, that we're empowered to obey in a marathon of the spiritual life until we get to the finish line of heaven. Jesus speaks in pretty bold words in some of the verses I want to throw up for you guys next. When he describes salvation, he describes salvation in terms of endurance. Look at what he says. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. He also says in Luke that by your endurance, you will claim, you will gain your lives. So often we look at these verses and we want to go down this path that suggests that we will lose our salvation. But to suggest that we could lose our salvation also suggests that we could earn our salvation. And we know that we can't. We know that it's something that is given freely by God, by his grace. Therefore, we should also trust that he who began a good work in us will continue that work and that we can continue to obey even when we go through a family crisis, even when we receive a devastating diagnosis, even when we have a terrible thing happen, even when we have a bad day at work, even when we have a conflict with a friend, that even in the midst of those sufferings, we can still choose to obey. Because you and I both know that it is easy to obey in the easy times. But the power of God is shown when we obey him in the hard times. Because everyone in this world can do nice things for people when things are going well. But we show God's glorious might 
when we love each other and when we imitate Christ in our walk, even in the midst of everything falling around us. And that's when you are going to recognize the true meaning of faith. When you say that I'm hurting, I'm suffering, people aren't seeing me, people don't understand, I'm broken. I have things inside me that are completely lost, yet I will still live like Christ because it is him, not me, who does it. That is what faithfulness looks like. And that is how God is glorified. Not just obedience, but obedience even through the hard times. That final mile of the marathon, where every muscle in the racer's body is screaming to stop, but their eye is on the finish line and they know that they have what it takes to get there. So keep running, keep stepping, keep obeying. We are empowered not just to obey, but to obey with endurance. Let's skip over to point number three at this point. Point number three, in addition to endurance, we see often that Paul will use the words endurance right next to patience. I think it's best for us to understand that he's really using these two words to explain the same thing which is steadfastness, which is long-term faithfulness to show God's power. Yet there is a difference in these words that typically when we see endurance, we are talking about a type of obedience, a type of faithfulness in God's power in all situations. But with patience, we see a type of endurance, we see a type of steadfastness specifically in our dealings with people. Endurance tends to deal with things, and patience tends to deal with people. That we are to obey and imitate Christ even when hard things come into our life, but we are also meant to imitate Christ even when hard people enter our life. And some of us, we can obey and keep our head down easily through all the trials, through all the broken down vehicles, through all the tough health crises, But if there's that one person that rubs us the wrong way or that one person that we have conflict with, for many of us, that's the thing that causes us to fall. Paul makes it very clear that we are empowered not just to obey and imitate Christ in all situations, but also with all people. And then finally, point four, we'll skip to point four. Most of all, we are empowered to do all of this. And I would argue this is the most important of them that we are empowered to walk with joy. During the time of Paul in the first century in the Roman Empire, there was a very popular line of thinking, a kind of Greek philosophy called Stoicism. And Stoicism, it's where we get the word Stoic from, they believe that you should be able to suffer without complaining through any situation. That if something bad happens to you, you just kind of take it on the chin and you just deal with the suffering and you just kind of look inward and you toughen it out. That's what Stoicism believed. These kind of concepts that we're talking about, about patience and endurance, it's really not that different from other philosophies of the world. But what makes it different is a suffering and an endurance and a patience that is done with a visible joy. We are called to walk in a way that doesn't just have joy. The way he puts it specifically in verse 11 is that we are to walk with endurance and patience in all joy, with all glorious joy. That is what makes us different from the rest of the world. 
And in conclusion, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12. This is at the end of the famous Hall of Faith chapter. All these examples of Old Testament heroes who lived by faith, who had endurance, who had patience, because they were depending on the promises and ultimately the power of God. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he gives the greatest example of faith of all. And the reason why we should do all of this with joy. The author of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but the author writes, Therefore, verse 1 of chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If even Christ can approach the sufferings of the cross for your sin with joy because of the hope and because of the redemption that he knew that it would bring, we also can show the power of God by walking in a way that endures and is patient even in suffering and do so with joy because we follow a God who lives. And if we follow a God who lives and who lives with joy and who, with, who died with joy, we can also die to our sin with joy. And we can walk in newness of life with joy because it is the same spirit of Jesus who carried his cross, who indwells you and me, who have accepted that free gift by faith. That is what the power of God looks like. It's the power that we should seek after, that we should not push aside, that we should not see for just certain kinds of denominations and Christian movements but to embrace and trust in the fact that we have been empowered with all power, that God has given us all of himself in order to obey him with all of ourselves. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are not going to ask you to empower us because you have promised us that you already have. But Lord, give us the faith. Convict us of the need to spiritually depend on the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives to obey you in a way that is long-term, in a way that is pervasive, and in a way that corresponds to your very power so that we can have an impact on the world around us, so that we can have an impact on our families, and most of all, so that we can be transformed into your image, the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it is his name that we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, guys, today is cookie day. So go eat cookies, fellowship, build each other up, and walk in dependence of the power of God in your life. Go in peace.